Augustine was not the obvious choice to be leading the Waterhouse dynasty, but as misfortune would have it, they were forced to rise to the occasion. She found that these days the term king fit her better than any other honorific, but it's all just semantics in the end. As to be expected, political proceedings and the leadership obligations that came with it were incredibly draining and isolating for Augustine. But no matter the dreariness of the day, the atmosphere or otherwise, they always found it in themselves to go out to the gardens towards sundown to pray. Excuse me, Lady Augustine. Oh, sir, I'm sorry. Is this a bad time? Uh, of course not. Please, s- stay. Louisa, was it? Yes, Your Grace. Louisa? Yes, Your Grace? What do you remember about Silas? Oh, I was quite young. Please, humor me. Well, he was many years my senior, but my mother and my sisters always spoke of him quite fondly. I do recall my mother telling me about his sense of humour, how he always brought levity to times of stress, and and how he was a good conversationalist to everyone, regardless of status. He was a kind soul, Your Grace. He was, wasn't he? Thank you, Louisa. Your mother. Where is she now, if you forgive my invasiveness? I'm afraid she's no longer with us, Your Grace. She fell ill a few years ago. Oh dear. I'm terribly sorry. Thank you. You have a deeper understanding of this topic than most, Lady Augustine. That I do. Grief is fickle. On the one hand, it makes your chest feel like an ever-expanding chasm, but on the other, you can't help but to dream about the love that it's been filled with. Augustine turned on their heel to go back inside before calling over their shoulder. Oh, Louisa! Yes, Your Grace. What was the reason that you wished to see me earlier? Oh, apologies. The guard is here for you. I've been told it's urgent. Guard. But, thank you. Last in a line of many siblings, Augustine never saw himself as a ruler. He had time to pursue hobbies in swordsmanship and dueling, and thus struck up a kinship with a young knight from the Marin family guard. However, misuse of power turned princesses to kings, squires to guard captains, and friends to enemies. The Waterhouse dynasty used to be a powerful one. For generations, they were revered by many 
This was not because they ruled with an iron fist, but quite the opposite. They were kind, and they were educated, and most importantly, they cared. Augustine's grandmother set the gold standard. She was a relentless advocate for the people, and her reign is highly regarded as the most peaceful in history. This can be largely attributed to her carefully maintained relationship with the neighboring Marin family, even to the point where rumors were spun amongst the townspeople of a romance between the two matriarchs. But this is, of course, conjecture and irrelevant at this point. The peace between the two families died with Augustine's grandmother. Her father, the heir apparent, craved power and conquest. Even when that came at the expense of decades-long friendships, he reduced his army to petty arson and set the entire orchard of the Marin's sacred fig trees ablaze. With the crackle of a forest fire, Reflected on the black water of the bluffs, the Waterhouse Marin Alliance ended. Wait forward. The captain of the Marin Guard, Sir Fenrir Ondine, stands only slightly taller than the princeling she teaches. But... What they lack in height, they make up for in muscle, finesse, and authority. Their trusty Borzoi, Solaris, weaving her lithe body between the two sparring partners. Come on, Silas, you're better than that. So, Fenrir? Yes? Where did you get that mark on your neck? Oh. Silas? Father? Show some respect to the captain, please. Sorry, Captain. That is quite all right. It was dragons. Dragons, really? Mm Mm-hmm. Wow! Time to go inside, Silas. You don't want to keep your mother waiting. (sighs) Yes, Father. (laughs) Dragons. Ah, A little whimsy doesn't hurt, and I didn't particularly want to be the one to explain the fruits of environmental warfare to him. You're too gentle with him, Fenrir. He understands more than you think. He's an important asset. Forgive me for exercising a bit of caution, Your Grace. I will be frank. I do not see in him what I saw in you. I do not need him to be at the calibre of the captain of the army. I just need him to be able to protect himself. And I think the stakes need to be slightly higher for him to get there. He doesn't need whimsy. He needs guidance and facts. Right. But that's not what I needed to speak to you about. I've been given some news. Oh? I've sent out a reconnaissance mission and the results are... interesting. And I'm just finding out about this now? Sir Ondine, a waterhouse lives. Oh. 
Any indication of whom? Augustine. Yes. And you want us to reinstate the Alliance? Always steps ahead of me, Undine. But yes, I'm afraid their influence is one of the only hopes we have in securing our coastline. I know this might be a conflict of interest, but... Tell me where they are and give me two days. Are you sure? My condition is that I go alone. Fenrir, I do not doubt your rationale, but surely reinforcements are wise. I will not debate this. (sighs) Fine. Two days it is. The Marins were known for two things, their lush fig orchard and their hunting dogs. The dogs were lean and elegant, with long noses and fur, but most importantly, intensely loyal. Along with typical horse stables, the Marins also kept well-maintained kennels, as the dogs were of particular use for food sovereignty and military prowess. Fenrir himself was a proud owner of one of these dogs by the name of Solaris. Solaris was, in every sense of the phrase, a very good boy. In the cool light of the gloaming, Fenrir traipsed through the mud toward the kennel to make sure everything was in order before nightfall, Solaris close at their heels. Being captain of the guard, naturally, Fenrir was not obligated to do this job, but still, he loved it. He loved the quiet and serene walks with his best friend, and as soft as it sounds, to be the last face the rest of the dogs saw before they went to sleep. However, as Fenrir went to slide open the barn door, they noticed Solaris tense. He took this as a warning, and slowly unsheathed his sword, tossing it gently in his hand to adjust their grip. They entered the kennel. Ah! Who goes there? Um... Silas? Silas, what are you doing out at this hour? What will your father say? I... Um... Oh dear. Oh dear. What's the matter? I hate him. I really hate him. Who? Your father? I can never please him, no matter what I do. Ah. I see. You know, I know a thing or two about fathers. Yeah? I lost mine when I was about your age, actually. And between you and me, he was a bit of a hard ass. It makes me a little happier than it should, knowing I'm nothing at all like he raised me to be. But your dad wasn't the king. You're right. He wasn't. He lorded over me like he was, though. Funny how dads are. My point is that you, and you exclusively, are in charge of how you turn out to be. I know I'm hard on you. Maybe I should be less so. But I want you to know that you don't have to be a soldier. You're allowed to have fun and love and experience softness. Right. Let's get you inside, then. You're going to freeze salt if you fall asleep out here. (laughs) 
Augustine has preferred a more solitary existence as of late. Instead of rebuilding and replacing staff after the events that led to their coronation, she mainly leaned on the guard captain, Lena Karanis. Her haggard and matronly presence were comforting to the king. This, however, was a two-way street, as Augustine and Lena had both lost children during the Marin coup, and find solace in their shared grief. Lena, what news? Your Majesty, please sit. Lena, what is it? I have reason to believe that we've been found. Found? By whom? Oh. I see. My scout reported a horse headed westbound along an old Marin trading route. This wouldn't normally be cause for alarm, except for the fact that the horse was followed closely by a lean hunting dog. We're fairly certain that they come alone, however. Marins. They've had conflict brewing with the South, correct? That is correct. They seem to be at a solid disadvantage as well. Interesting. Do you expect a parlay? They could use our help. That's precisely what I came here to speak to you about. I think they're going to try to lean into personal familiarity as a leverage. I'm intrigued. The rider matches the description of Fenrir Ondine. Oh. I'd offer to intercept his passage, but... You think this could be good for us? I mean, militaristically speaking, we're the better strategists. That's what they mean. Right. It's your call, my king. Let him come. I want to speak to them. Alone. But, my lady... Fenrir swore an oath to me when we were younger. Did you know that? I did not. They swore to protect me. Even though both of us knew I was always the better swordsman, he still swore awfully grand, don't you think? No. I want to talk to him. I want to see if the oath still holds. If he still wears the belt. Understood. I'll be ready at a moment's notice if you need any support. Thank you, Lina. Did you hear that the Marins named their young prince Silas? I did not. Bastards. Augustine narrowly escaped being burned to death that night years ago. The Marins were furious about the state of their orchard after the waterhouses set them alight. What other way to fight fire than with more fire? At this point, the Marins and Waterhouses were still in some form of communication with each other, be it via espionage or face-to-face. They made sure to pick a memorable date. The Marins were always dramatic like that. 
On the anniversary of the coronation of the former Waterhouse monarch, Marin's soldiers made their way to the Waterhouse stronghold en masse, posing as a routine trading voyage. When the entire family was gathered for anniversary celebrations, the doors were blocked and doused with flammable liquid and set alight, and almost too easily. The entire Waterhouse family met their demise, all but one. As previously mentioned, Augustine was last in line for the throne, while her son was one to follow the straight and narrow and attend all royal proceedings, time tended to get away from Augustine. She didn't even remember anymore what she was in the library studying when the great dining hall erupted, only remembering the screams of her family that startled her, her son among them. Fenrir arrived at the Waterhouse stronghold with almost no difficulty. They tied up their horse and their dog and made their way to the throne room, a path not traveled since they were young. Inside they found a lone figure, light through the stained glass window reflecting off their sun-kissed hair. Augustine? Excuse my surprise, but I didn't expect you to be the Waterhouse on the throne. Your prince bears my son's name. Ah. The Marin boy. His name is Silas. I presume that this decision was not made out of respect for the dead. Augustine, please. There are more pressing issues at hand. That is your grace to you. I am addressed as such by mere obligation, and I expect you to abide by it. I am in this position because you slaughtered everyone who you assumed would be more suited. It was necessary, I'm afraid. You murdered my son, Fenrir. You dare tell me that that was necessary? He was a child. I did not personally... It doesn't matter. The deed is done. I am without an heir, the last of my name. And you could not so much as to spare me my family. I can attempt to offer forgiveness and the aid I assume you've come to grovel for. But you have to understand that this is not something easily dismissed. There are two types of mothers in the stories we tell. Those that are cruel and those who are slain and I refuse to be either, Captain. However, I can be the former if you continue to force my hand. It's sweet how you still call yourself that. What? A mother. Last I heard mothers supposed to have children. Augustine wordlessly draws a long, ornately engraved flambeige from the golden scabbard of their hip. She angles it downwards so its sharpened point is hovering at the strip of milky pale skin between the gorget of Fenrir's armor and her chin. Neil. The captain looks up at her, stony gaze unmoving. And if I don't? Fenrir ever so slowly moves her arm to the hilt of the longsword on her back. 
You will not draw on me, Captain. I did not wake up this morning wishing to commit an act of regicide, but forgive my self-preservation instinct. Sir Ondine, I am your king. At this, Fenrir erupts in humorless laughter. Ha! You are no king of mine. You are a ruler by a mere technicality, the leftover of a subpar meal. I've never in my life seen someone so unfit for a position. Eventually, your highness, your luck will run out. And no matter how far away I am, I will revel in it. Respectfully, of course. It takes every ounce of stoicism Augustine possesses to maintain her composure. Only a slight twitch of the left corner of her mouth betraying them. Are you quite finished? Augustine slowly descends the dais they were standing on to stand next to Fenrir. Even when on ground level, the king is still head and shoulders taller than the captain. This proximity makes Fenrir tense their compact muscles. These are cutting words coming from someone with your wardrobe. A dig at my wardrobe? Really? You're still wearing it, aren't you? Still wearing what? The belt. Fenrir follows Augustine's gaze to the gap between her breastplate and her pants, where a flash of emerald green silk is visible. They grimace and tug down their breastplate to cover it. And what if I am? You swore an oath, Fenrir. When we were children. People change, Augustine. People change their favorite colors. Or their exercise regimens. They do not change promises. You do not... You cannot go back on devotion. I am devoted to my work. I'm devoted to my family and our dogs and our trees, all things larger than myself. I believe we've obtained sufficient retribution from the tree aspect. <laughs> However, I am offended that you accuse me of being devoted to a person. Especially a person I hardly know anymore. Augustine closes the distance between herself and Fenrir even further, and takes Fenrir's hands in theirs. The knuckles have red and purple splotches, masking the captain's usual spotless skin. This unexpected contact sends an unpleasant shiver through them. Still with the touching. Fenrir nods. Right. Sorry. It's okay. Your hands didn't used to look like this. Again, people change. You know better than to resort to hand-to-hand combat. Yes, well, some of us aren't as obscenely gifted with the blade. <laughs> Let us help you, Fenrir. With your strategic prowess and my swordsmanship, it will be efficient and losses will be minimal. Please. I don't want to lose you again, okay? Okay.
An alliance cannot be fixed overnight, and forgiveness is not absolute. Augustine and Fenrir did, however, join forces and attempt to pick up the pieces of the atrocities of their families. Neither of them are good or happy in the storybook sense. Life tends to be far messier. They'll continue to be in debt to each other for the deeds of their predecessors for years to come, but both of them hope that through their efforts, peace can be restored. Tranthologies is a trans anthology podcast distributed by the Listless Network and produced by Alex Abrahams and Zoe Davis. Olive Cathedral was written and directed by Zoe Davis with audio editing by Alex Abrahams. In today's episode, you heard the voices of Moira Juliet Scott as the narrator, Chloe Peterson as Fenrir, Abigail Eliza as Augustine, Alex Abrahams as King Acteon, Avalon Willowbloom as Lena and Louisa, and Zoe Davis as Silas. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you turn in tomorrow for another delightfully trans story. But until then, remember that the only way to watch Game of Thrones correctly is that if you watch it as a silly gossip magazine and not in a weird incel way. Thank you. Howdy, Zoe here, one of the producers for Tranthologies. Just wanted to pop in and let you know that our crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo is still ongoing throughout our Season 2 run. So, if you liked an episode, please consider leaving us a tip. Or not. I'm not your mom, or your dad, or your parent. Alright, bye!